Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, I'm joined again by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about new home sales, purchase apps, housing permits, and of course, inventory. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here, Sarah. Great to have you on, especially when we have so much to talk about. So let's talk about new home sales first. Yes, uh, the housing recession is still continuing, especially in the new home sales uh, sector where monthly supply of inventory is actually 10.9 months now, uh, getting closer to the peak that we saw during the housing bubble crash. But uh, much different backdrop, of course, I believe 9.84 months of that supply are homes under construction, Uh, 2.5 uh, months of that is actually homes that haven't even been started on. So the builders are going to take their time and make sure they can sell those homes before even thinking about uh, building any more single family homes for a while now. And uh, uh, as long as mortgage rates stay high, it's not as it's not the easiest process for them. Um, I know some people have talked about the things have gotten a little bit better recently, but uh, that's where we are with the builders. Uh, and again, when I think of economic cycles, I always think of you know, new home sales, housing starts. Uh, it was the fifth recession red flag that we raised in uh, June. And then the builder surveys actually started to really collapse in July and August. And it makes sense. Uh, this sector is very, very, uh, it, it gets effect, it gets uh, impacted by higher rates much more than any other sector that we have. And uh uh, the builders pushed it on their pricing, of course, and uh, when you have so much housing inflation in such a short time and then you have mortgage rates go up from 3 to 6%, then, of course, you're going to get uh, demand hit in a faster fashion, and that's what we're seeing today. So the headline number, though, on the new home sales is 10.9, and you broke that 10.9 months of inventory. And so you broke that down about why that's you know a little bit different than it looks, but I mean, from a headline perspective, you think, okay, that's great. We have all this inventory coming online. Why is that a naive view? Or why do you think that's not the right view to take here? Well, new homes, and this is a mistake that I see all the time. First of all, a lot of people on social media actually go into the FRED website, which is the government website that gives you data, and they type in monthly supply, and then they think the new home sales sector is the existing home sales market. So they think there's 10.9 months of supply nationally. The new home sales sector is much smaller, and those homes are under contract. So unless those contracts are canceled uh, at the day that you can move in, um, those homes are not actually inventory or unsold properties. They're actually occupied. So they don't necessarily uh, help the monthly supply or total inventory data unless they're actually uh, unoccupied. So it's the cancellation rates on closing. And then the total starts uh, uh, factor is some of that is multifamily construction, which that's what we need as well. We need a lot more supply there. So it's not a fluid process with new homes uh, being created into the monthly supply or total inventory data. This is actually something we wrote about uh, a few months ago that it's, it's, it's not what people think. Uh, so we're sitting here today uh, after the last existing home sales report and uh, still below 2019 levels nationally. 
uh, and uh, people are just assuming that this is a massive amount of supply that's coming out there. And the new home sales uh, number itself is 511,000 compared to the existing home sales last report was 4.8 million. So you're actually below 2,000 recession levels in new home sales already. Uh, and you're uh, back to 1996 levels. So it's not working from a very elevated level. I think that's one of the uh, another big mistake people have made during this uh, the last few years. New home sales got up to as high as 1.4 million. Housing starts were much higher uh, uh, based on single-family start uh, construction. Uh, we, we didn't have so much of the multifamily construction in, during the housing bubble years. So when new home sales had this 82% collapse in demand and monthly supply grew, that was a lot of unsold inventory working from a very elevated level that couldn't be sustained. Now... You know, it's just like uh, purchase application data. We're already below 2008 levels. And people are like, well, why is an inventory three, four, five million? I said, are home sellers just selling their homes to be homeless? You know, uh, I mean, it's this concept, which I actually, not, I just basically assumed people knew this. And I've come to the realization that no, people don't know this. A traditional seller is usually a buyer of a home. So the inventory, in a sense, is a wash. Uh, and this has been going on for 10 years. And this is one of the reasons why inventory hasn't really broken out, even when we've had weakness in demand. Um, the only period in time in the last four decades was the 2006 to 2011 period. And you could see what happened. We were booming in sales, right? We had this massive credit boom for new homes and existing. And then demand collapsed, and then you had a lot of forced selling as well. And that's how you got inventory, you know, uh, uh, above two and a half million, got up to about uh, four million in 2007. Not the case today. I mean, even now uh, with sales trends, you know, existing home sales have gone from 6.49 million to 4.81 million. New home sales are 511,000. We are literally still below uh, to 2019 levels. And that is a problem, right? That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. And now currently new listings data is falling at a faster uh, clip this year than we saw in the last two years. So it's difficult, or as I will call it, savagely unhealthy uh, housing market we're in. Savagely unhealthy. I'm not sure there's a better descriptor for it. And it doesn't matter which which angle you look at it from. If you're a home buyer, if you're a home seller, if you're a builder, if you're a real estate agent, if you're a mortgage loan officer, I mean, there's not just a whole lot of silver lining in this for anybody, right? No, and, and it's 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 an uncomfortable reality, especially for me, because you know, years 2020 to 2024 was like my period in time that I was waiting for. And I was always thinking, you know, what can ruin this? What can absolutely make this a a a, a, a negative situation? Is if inventory just kept on breaking lower and lower, creating forced bidding. Um, and that's the difference between now than let's say the housing bubble years. I always have this ongoing discussion. A lot of people say, well, it's it's the Fed, right? A home price is only growing. No, no, not this time. Because during the housing bubble years, and still to this day, not a lot of people know this, total inventory was actually increasing from 2001 to 2005. We got it from about 2 million to 2.5 million. 
Then we had this massive decline in sales and forced selling and foreclosures and bankruptcy. So that two and a half million went up to four million. Here, it's the exact opposite. From 2014, inventory has been slowly falling every single year. And then we just got to all-time lows. And when, when I talk about all-time lows in inventory, there is this notion that, well, inventory isn't low. The people that always say inventory isn't low are mostly stock traders or anti-central bank people because they want to blame the Fed for everything miserable in their lives. And um, if inventory at all-time lows with a population of 330 million is not low inventory, then there is no such thing as low inventory. This is what fanatics do, right? This is what, what generational demagoguery cult groups have done all the time. They just make up stuff. Uh, so you can't have all-time lows in inventories with population at all-time highs and not say, well, inventory is low, right? They make up these crazy stats. So this is the savagely unhealthy part. This is the one fear that I've had because understanding that people don't sell their homes to be homeless, it doesn't exist, that was a fabricated story, or they don't sell their homes to go rent at a higher cost when they don't need to, right? Of course, if you had to move or or, or find another job or something like that, 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 that makes sense. But the notion that not realizing that traditional sellers are 75 to 82% of the time buyers and that has been here for four decades. I keep on stressing this. Four decades of information has been out there on this. Nobody cares to read this, right? So, it, so of course, people won't understand. And even now, um, the concerning part is new listings are declining at a faster clip now. Not what I want to see, but uh, it's discouraging that even when rates fell one and a quarter percent, that didn't bring out some of the uh, 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 sellers. They were declining during that entire period. So it's a frustrating aspect. But on the positive side, you know, still being part of TBI rates, we've broken this savagely unhealthy home price growth that we were seeing, especially in January, February, March. Uh, uh, the multiple bids are are coming back down. We're not back to um, 2019 levels or even 2020 levels, but things are cooling down on that side. Uh, and if any part of the U.S. is above 2019 inventory levels, that is a plus. I mean, those people, those you know, Boise, Idaho, Phoenix, whatever, they're they are off the savagely unhealthy uh, list because they have more inventory. It becomes a functioning marketplace. And that's why I've always targeted 2019 levels uh, uh, inventory. We had a functioning marketplace in 2018 and 2019. Uh, we don't have it. Still, we're working our way back up there. But uh, um, it's it's just it's just frustrating, you know. It's it's it, the, the way I look at housing economics is different than everyone else because everyone else wants to promote themselves as the next housing crash things, and and it just. It, for 10 years, that hasn't worked out. The economics of it is very boring. The boring aspect is people look at homes as shelter, right? Forget the investment aspect. Uh, the new home sales sector is in a recession, right? Construction jobs are still being there just because those people have to finish those homes in construction. Once that's done, guess what? Builders are going to lay those people off uh, uh, because uh, if if rates are too high and they can't they they cannot produce the product to sell, they are not going to build. Right. Uh, this has been a big working theme of mine for years. They do not care about the low inventory situation for the existing home sales market because that is their competitor. So in this context, it's it's a housing recession. 
and the recessionary factors or the recessionary qualifications all meet here. Falling sales, falling activity, falling incomes, falling jobs, falling production. We don't have that in the U.S. economy, right? U.S. economy still is creating jobs. Industrial production is still positive. Incomes are still there. So the U.S. economy itself doesn't uh, uh, qualify for a recession, but the housing market does. And uh, I think that's part of the Fed reset. You know, uh, they, they, they were like, just, just like uh, myself, not happy. Uh, and it was not because we have this massive credit boom. Uh, it's because inventory broke to all-time lows and people were forced to bid on shelter and forcing to bid on shelter, not a good thing. Not a good thing. Okay, well, that's um, that's new home sales. What else are you looking at? What other data are you looking at today, tomorrow? Well, pending home sales came out today. It was a mild decline month to month, uh, but the trend of year-over-year data is, is negative, nothing near 20%. And we have to realize that Starting from now toward the end of the year, the year-over-year comps for housing is going to be really noticeably bad because uh, we had a, uh, a kind of a, a surge in demand toward the end of the year last year. Uh, a very abnormal um, uh, uh, thing that happened, purchase application volumes actually grew toward the uh, uh, end of the year. That does not happen. You know, It happened the year before that. That was just because of COVID makeup demand. So uh, the year-over-year data is going to look worse. Uh, purchase application data today, week-to-week down 1%. We haven't had much movement on the week-to-week data, but still negative 21% year-over-year. Uh, that number will get worse, even if the trend is exactly the same. Uh, and rates uh, are, are back up again. Uh, um, so the whatever whatever uh, increase maybe in demand in some areas happened uh, because rates fell one and a quarter percent, that's not happening anymore. And the new listings are falling, which means those sellers aren't going to be buyers. Uh, so purchase application data has the potential to be down now 25 to 35% year over year, especially starting from October. Purchase application data is one of your key data lines that you look at for different things. So, you know, pulling back, uh, when you look at purchase application data now, is it is it where you thought it would be? Um, is it worse than you thought it would be? So for me personally, it's not worse than I thought it would be. Um, I was looking for 18 to 22% four-week moving average declines, and that actually didn't happen when rates were above 4 to 5%. Uh, we were seeing a single-digit decline. So I didn't actually get the demand destruction that I was looking for early on. But 5 to 6% uh, mortgage rates did it. Uh, and so adjusting to the reality that the comps are going to be higher now, we're kind of right there where I thought we would be. I think right now the four-week moving average decline is about 18.5%. So it's not worse than I thought. Um, uh, it, it's kind of right on target, maybe on the lower end side. Uh, traditionally, what happens with this data line is when things get weaker, it's down 20 or 30%. Uh, when things get stronger, it's up 20 to 30%. So it looks kind of in line. It just took higher rates than I thought to do that. I was anticipating a uh, faster decline in apps year over year once rates got above 4%, which runs in line to the 1.94% uh, 10-year yield breaking that that changes the housing cycle. So 4 to, four to 5 4 to five percent mortgage rates didn't do it, but 5 to 6% did. And I like to uh, always show people the context of um, the last 10 years. So what happens when rates rise? Uh, existing home sales in 2014 declined to about 4.63 million. 
uh, on the monthly data prints. So we're at 4.81 now. Uh, purchase application data was down 20% year over year back in 2014. 2014 was the last time inventory grew. It was about 2.3 million total listings back then, the peak. We're about 1.31 million now. So we're about a million off from 2014 levels. And I remember how crazy bearish everyone was back then. They thought the second housing crash was happening. Uh, uh, so we're 1 million shy from that levels. In 2018, it was, it was, it was, it was uh, very interesting. 2018, the new home sales sector, in a sense, had a, like a mini recession. But the existing home sales market only had three mild negative prints. Uh, back in 2018, when mortgage rates got to eight five uh, percent, uh, sales trends went from 5.72 million to 4.98 million. So we the history of higher mortgage rates brings uh, existing home sales below five million. Uh, we haven't been able to ever crack under four million. Uh, uh, we we had a brief time in COVID. COVID purchase application data were down 33, 35% at peak year over year. It brought sales down to 4 million. Listings came off. So you lost the sellers that will be buyers as well. So we're not, we're still about 800,000 away from that level. Uh, um, but the new listing data falling faster is just like, ugh. And again, sellers are just in a good spot. They're just not going to sell you their homes. Uh, 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 at major discounts, like a lot, of, a lot of people thought this for a long time. I, I've had this discussion with people that people have to sell you their homes at 30, 40% off. I said, there's nothing in history that actually shows this to be the case outside of forced selling. So uh, I'm hoping for next year, because seasonality is going to kick in, that we're able to get to the peak 2019 levels of total inventory, which is 1.93 million. Uh, uh, and if rates do fall at some point, at least we're working from a higher base. That's always been my concern this year. If, if rates fell and we're not even at 2019 levels, what could happen with inventory, it stalls like we're seeing right now. And that's not because of demand. Uh, it could pause the growth or it could reverse. And I am not a fan of the housing market when we're below 1.52 million inventory when we have over 330 million people. Okay, that's just, it just does not, it's just not a functioning housing market. And we we paid the price for it uh, in 2020 and 2021 and 2022. I mean, the last existing home sales print had near 11% home price growth with declining sales. That is an inventory issue. That's not a demand issue. Uh, people said, well, as soon as demand starts falling, inventory is going to skyrocket and prices are going to be down double digits. It's not happening because we're just not back to normal yet. Well, it, it strikes me that we have a standoff going on. So you have buyers, some of whom are like, listen, I'm pulling out. I expect, you know, I expect prices to come down. Um, they were crazy. And then we've had a little bit of a, I, I wouldn't even say a correction, just a cooling down of of prices going higher. They haven't even like dropped a lot, but they just have stopped going higher so fast. So you've got buyers going, I'm going to hold off and wait for better interest rates, and maybe better prices. On the same side, you have sellers who are like, I'm going to wait for prices to go back up. Like, I, I feel like if I sold now, I would be, I would be cheating myself out of the best deal I can get. So I go, how does this ever work? And which one of those do you think is more likely? So eventually buyers do win because, and this is, this has been a big working theme of mine. There is a traditional active listings that happen every single year. It's actually been lower in the last 10 years 
than we would normally see because people are staying in their homes longer. But every year, people do list their homes to sell. Uh, those sellers typically, we're talking about primary resident owners, we're not talking about investors, are typically ready to buy as well going into whatever situation there is. The nested equity positions of, of, of owners, especially in the last few years, uh, helps them even with higher rates because they have so much equity that it, the rates don't really impact them as much. But you need duration. And the reason why I always talk about duration with higher rates is that accumulation of inventory builds up. Uh, it's slow, but it does happen. So if you have two years of higher rates and rates not falling, you can get enough accumulation of inventory to get you back to 2019 levels. In fact, that's actually the premise that I that I have. I remember I was talking with Altos Research this year that we can get back to 2019 peak inventory levels as long as rates stay high enough. I hope I'm right here because if that doesn't happen, uh, if, if new listings don't even grow next year at higher rates, that's going to be very frustrating. But we, we there's nothing in the data that says that we don't have new listings uh, uh, with new sellers each year. So I'm hoping that will be the case next year. Of course, now it's not, you know, it's, it's almost September. Traditionally, it's October that listings, uh, uh, total listings volume start to fall. But, but I'm, I'm counting on history, history staying its course that every new year, new listings come because people need to move. Uh, it's not as, it's not as lot as people think, but those people are typical buyers as well. And they will, uh, uh eventually uh, sell their homes and buy something else. So I'm hoping that increases the inventory and that's that's the best thing I got now for for next year. Obviously, it, it it didn't happen this year. There's parts of the U.S. that are above 2019 inventory levels. So you know, Phoenix, Boise, those those areas are off the savagely unhealthy housing market. Those there, there's enough there's enough inventory there to have a functioning market. But there's other places in in the country that just haven't had much growth, and because they don't get any play uh, nationally, because nobody wants to talk about those uh, those areas are still in the savagely unhealthy market list. So uh, I'm I'm more concerned about them than I am, let's say, a Phoenix or Boise or anything like that, just because I think those markets are functional. That's a good thing. Uh, um, the national data still, we're just working our way back up. And I, I always like to remind people, 2019 inventory levels were at four-decade lows. Uh, monthly supply data being above four months is another positive thing for me. We're not there yet. We're at 3.3 months. But Four months plus supply is the 2013 to 2016 national data. Uh, uh, again, positive functioning marketplace. That's where I want to see this go. Uh, and uh, it, it doesn't look like we're going to get there this year, but I'm hoping for next year. Let's talk about home prices a little bit. And like, what is there an equilibrium that gets, that gets, you know, happens in the housing market traditionally. Like, so the, the market that I know the best because I'm not a realtor, right, is the one that I lived in for a couple of decades, which was the DFW Metroplex. And of course we, you know, we got hit by the the housing bubble, but we never really had that run up. I mean, it wasn't a, a California situation in the run up to um, 2000, I, I guess you would say 2002 to 2005, where, you know, homes were just going up so, so high and people were just taking out um, we just didn't have that huge run up in home price appreciation or in, in in equity, and so we didn't have as as terrible as a fall as other places. It was pretty pretty much you know you could you could count on a certain percentage of like 
that your home's value could grow within this small range every year. And then COVID and all of this happened and it has been a market like I've never seen. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Like, uh, you know, I've been living in this place for a couple of decades. I'm, I'm used to this. And now we're at this really crazy home price appreciation. Do you think in a market like that, say, say DFW, so do you think that prices ever go back? So yes, you know, home price growth has stalled and maybe, you know, things um, aren't growing so fast, but like, do you ever get to like a level that you were like three years ago? Do home prices ever fall back down to an equilibrium or, or get in the middle somewhere? Or once they, once they go up, do they just kind of keep that level at least? The history of big nominal home price declines over the last 100 years is it's actually a rare event. Uh, real home prices adjusting to inflation, the equivalence of rent, uh, th- that can come down in aggressive fashion. Um, for my own model, because uh, I, you know, w- we have to do this as analysts. Twenty-three uh, percent home price growth for five years was okay. Uh, that's like the the higher end level. We're like over forty-four percent. So I'm like twelve to eighteen percent away from wanting to get back to my model, and that that's twelve to eighteen percent declines nominally. Not real. So that's nominal price declines. Uh, that would be like the second biggest nominal home price declines nationally, uh, uh, you know, uh, in, in the last century, really. The reason why it's rare to have big nominal home price declines is that the seller has to sell you that home. And that's the frustrating aspect of, of housing. Uh, you know, in the recession in the early 90s, it was a very mild uh, nominal home price decline. So to get prices back down to, you know, equilibrium or people say there's a big deviation in prices or huge deviation in price in, in 2020 and 2021, you need sellers to willingly sell you their homes 25 to 35%. So for that to occur... You need monthly supply to really break out higher. You need duration, right? You need you need you need uh, uh, you need weakness in demand to stay for a while, and then a job loss recession actually can create uh, forced selling. Not so much in a foreclosure, but some people have so much equity. I mean, that's that's the frustrating part about the new listings declining uh, recently is that people have a lot of selling equity, and they're still stingy. And I'm like, oh, come on, really? You know, it's like your home went up 80% in two years and you're like not selling at this <laughs> price. And that's the frustrating part. And that's why I'm, I was so discouraged to see the new listings decline as fast as they did. Because I part of the video I did in Twitter early in, in the year in February when we saw these 40 to 50 bids per home is that I said that the problem with sellers is that they're stingy. And even with higher rates, you know, they're just like, no, my home is worth this, this house, and uh, it's not as it's not as fluid a process. And I was hoping that the new listings decline would be a little bit normal, but it's so aggressive in the last four or five months that I'm thinking sellers are like, ah, no, there's no way I'm selling, and it's it, and that's that's the frustrating thing about housing in the stock market. It doesn't matter. You could sell your stock down 40% within 10 seconds. Uh, housing is such a 
sticky that you sticky process that you need willing sellers to sell you in a declining market. And what we saw in COVID was that people took their homes off the market. What we're seeing now is that new listings are declining faster. What we saw in 2018 was that people didn't really budge too much, even with a longer duration of uh, uh, rates slowly moving up higher. They just had the mark days on market were above 30 days and just waited, waited, and then some of them took their homes out. There was actually no inventory growth really in 2018 and 19, even with mortgage rates up and uh, uh, sales down. So, looking at that data, it's just it's just frustrating because you don't have a very fluid price pricing. But hoping that as long as rates stay high, the second year, and this is the first time we're actually going to have this test. We've never had a housing market. Uh, in over a decade that's had to deal with 5% plus mortgage rates for two years, right? This would be the first time. So starting in April of 2023, that would be the first 12 months. So if mortgage rates stay above uh, 5%, we'll have another 12 months if, if it goes into 2024. Hopefully that is enough listings to create a more fluid pricing uh, system to where prices can fall and you get more buyers, there's a natural equilibrium there. But uh, as of now, uh, the inventory growth that we've seen this year is actually just uh, weakness in demand, which is the accumulation part. So um, somebody, uh, we can all hope for more inventory and that's what that's what I'm hoping on next year. If, as long as rates stay above 5%, duration and time and sellers get it because they're they're people move every year uh and if they need to lower the price to move good what you don't want to see is oh i'm not selling at this price goodbye you know um and that's part of the housing tenure issue is that people stay in their homes longer uh and and the urgency to move for certain people is just not there but every year we do have we do have new listings and i'm counting on that for next year you know, you're, you uh, take home sellers to task, but they've been told this is the single biggest investment you're going to make in your life. This is how you build wealth. What is their incentive to say, no, I'm, I'm definitely going to not be stingy? I mean, they're like, this is my biggest investment, right? If, if they're not people who are invested in other real estate investments, if they have stock, whatever, it's like, you know, they should maximize what, what they get out of this. You can have a product and say it's the biggest and best investment you'll make, and then also think that it can be affordable as long as all the subsidization happens. That's the curse of housing, right? Uh, that's why I, I, I'm a big proponent of not easing lending standards. I'm a big proponent of not down payment assistance. You know, and, you know, the city of Washington is going to give $200,000 down for, for people to buy homes. Um, it's... It, it, it's such it's such an important real asset to the to the United States of America, and in a sense, it's protected always. That was the housing dilemma discussion I had uh, earlier this year with uh, the podcast on Bazaar. Uh, we created a system to where we keep housing prices up. We eventually paid the price for it in 2020 to 2021 because. We actually have a lot of good homeowners and we subsidize housing. And when the economy gets bad, rates go lower. Um, and, you know, the forbearance was a very successful program. All those homeowners weren't going to foreclose on their homes if it wasn't for COVID. And through all that, it keeps prices elevated and inflated because for the most, for a lot of people, that's their biggest financial asset. The forced saving premise of the government 
but that comes at a price, right? And then if you talk to people about, you know, well, we shouldn't ease lending standards. Yes, we should. No, we shouldn't. Uh, well, I think the NAR, the, the NAR had a really good fight back one time. When mortgage interest deduction was going to be shelved, like 10 years ago, I remember writing about that and I said, yeah, mortgage interest deduction should go. I never got more hate mail than I did for that article. And the NAR itself actually said, well, if you do that, home prices can fall 10%. That means supply goes up. Supply going up, prices cooling down, good thing. But no, right? Because the system is designed to think that if prices fall, nobody's going to buy a home because they think they can buy it cheaper and the sales would fall. So it, it, it's a very the sector is is protected, and the tax benefits and the subsidization and the low down payments, and the you know whenever the economy gets worse, rates go lower. So that is problematic with prices. And in a you know three year period from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty two, we paid the price because we didn't have enough product available. And it's not only just home prices accelerating; it's rent inflation as well. So. Uh, nothing's ever perfect, and the housing market just wasn't uh, uh, ready for this, and uh, uh, we're dealing with the aftermath right now. We are indeed. Um, you brought up the Washington D.C. Is it Washington D.C. or Washington State that's that's going to give people that money? Uh, this the government, the city of Washington D.C. is going to give two hundred thousand to uh, first-time homebuyers or homebuyers. I, I am one hundred percent against something like that. Uh, creating a subsidization uh, factor helps the home seller and helps the home buyer and then everyone else has to pay for the inflation part. So no, I'm 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 never an advocate for anything like that. The sector is already subsidized enough. I agree with you on that. I mean, it, it's um it's difficult. You know, I have I have lots of kids. Um only one of them's a homeowner. I, I wish they could get into it. Uh but if if you do that sort of subsidy, I, I fear that you're just raising the price overall for everyone, right? Yeah. So that's like, oh okay, we're definitely so yeah. It's, it is so complicated. It's technical. Glad that we have you, Logan, uh, as our lead analyst to help guide us through this. Thanks so much for this. And we'll talk to you again in a couple of days. Definitely. Talk to you soon, Sarah. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.